What's up, Gator Nation? How's everyone doing today? Uh, I asked that rhetorical question with full awareness of what happened on Saturday, but I hope y'all are doing well. I hope y'all are ready to listen to today's episode of In All Kinds of Weather Forecast because it is going to be a doozy as the Gators are coming off of a pretty pretty embarrassing loss, I would say. I think it's fair to call it embarrassing. Uh, 49-42 to the LSU Tigers, a team that, as it turned out, had a lame duck head coach. They fired at Orgeron less than 24 hours after the game was complete. Florida finds itself at a bit of a crossroads right now as a program. Uh, A lot of the criticism that has been headed Dan Mullen's way before this game has now been ramped up. And I think people are, I I think the temperature has been increased a bit on this program right now. Uh, Of course, I am going to be taking the hosting role today. Neil Shulman, the creator and founder of In All Kinds of Weather. You can follow me on Twitter at All Kinds Weather. I am with Dustin Smith today, our normal host. You can follow at I-A-K-O-W Dustin. I'm taking the hosting role today because Dustin is is so disgusted that he straight up doesn't want to host the show today. He's he's just going to be the reactionary guy that answers the the prompts and the questions that we have and and there are many of them. So, Dustin, the first question is what the hell happened on Saturday? Well, Neil, um I'll just say this before we dive into the show itself. Um I hope everybody's doing well. We um uh, we we like to tout um the moniker in all kinds of weather, we all stick together for F-L-O-R-I-D-A. And we say that a lot, but it's times like this where that moniker needs to be our center focus. Because it's very easy to stick together when things are sunny and things are looking great. You know, coming off of the uh, the twenty. 18 season or even the 2019 season where we saw hope we saw a team that lost to teams that were clearly more talented than florida you know even the loss to a&m last year while that loss was excruciating and while we obviously saw things in Todd Grantham. Oh my Lord, Todd Grantham. We saw things in that game that were bad. I mean, Marco Wilson was horrible in that game. And we, we talk about how horrible he was, but it all goes back to coaching. But at least we could have gone back and say, okay, A&M was more talented than Florida. But with the exception of the, the two times that we lost to Alabama, we've lost to teams that were either just as talented or not as talented as Florida, okay? Oklahoma, okay? They might, might be more talented, potentially. I would argue that with the transfers, though, they're about even with Florida. We lost to them, okay? Now, albeit Kyle Pitts was not there, all that stuff, but regardless, you know, you go game by game by game, we should be six and one right now, but we're not. And the reason for that is because there's systemic issues 
with this team, and it it stinks, and it starts at the head. So, Neil, now that I've gotten that out of my system, let's let's dive into our discussion. I'm doing okay, by the way. I'm uh, yeah. earlier. I was um, sitting in a puddle of tears. Um, it's a very busy season. It's very easy when you're when you're a busy guy to kind of let things get to you. But yeah, I digress. I feel you, man. Uh, yeah. it's, Football, football is a way of, of making of making grown men react in ways that other that that bystanders could just sort of look at in shock. Um, exactly. But yeah, recruiting. You're talking about the talent wise. I guess that's a place to start. Um, Florida's recruiting right now is absolutely not where it needs to be. Let's make no bones about it. The recruiting at the University of Florida could and should be a lot better than it is. Recruiting is not why Florida lost this game at all, point blank. This was coaching. This was not a recruiting loss. LSU ran the same counterplay again and 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 again. And you would think at some point the University of Florida – would be able to figure out the schematics of how a counterplay works. It's, it's very simple, Todd Grantham. Um, you see, I'm explaining this to Grantham because I know most of our listeners know this. We, you know, we, we talk football, we talk the X's and O's as much as we can, but evidently Todd Grantham doesn't listen to this show. And he obviously he probably has no reason to, but someone has to explain this to him before it costs him a chance at getting hired for any job ever again. So Todd, you see a counterplay is, or at least the counterplay LSU ran, there are variations of it, but the counterplay that LSU ran saw the ball get snapped the left tackle and the left guard move laterally to their right. It's called a pull block. I know you don't really understand how this works, but I'm, you know, I'll be patient. I'll explain it to you. It's called a pull block where they block players from the other team on the other side of the line of scrimmage from where they line up. Because Florida never figured out that more than one or two guys were needed to shoot that gap which is probably also over your head, but I'll assume you at least know what that is because Florida only put one or two guys in that position to shoot through that hole. It became a foot race to the end zone between Tyron Davis price and a single high safety. That's it. That's all that stood in the way of Tyron Davis price and whoever was playing strong safety on that particular play for Florida. LSU's running back Tyron Davis price wound up with a school record 287 yards of rushing on the ground. Okay, this isn't even their starting running back, by the way, which just makes it all the more humiliating. Their starting running back, John Emery, was one of several starters or key reserves to not play in this game. So congratulations, you let LSU, who hadn't rushed for 150 yards as a team in any game all season, including Central Michigan, McNeese State, Kentucky, and UCLA, they couldn't rush for 150 yards in any of those one game. They doubled that as a team, and they're backup running back. At a school that's produced Leonard Fournette, Darius Geis, Kenny Hilliard, Alfred Blue, you know, Kevin Falk, uh, you take them all off, uh, Dalton Hilliard, Billy Cannon, a, a school with a prestigious chain of running backs 
to go through the NFL, not one of them rushed for as many yards as Tyron Davis Price did. So there's, you know, hyperbole, there's knee-jerk reaction, there's emotion, you know, fire Mullen, it sucks, this is terrible, I hate losing. There, there's that. Then there's, in the 129 years of the Louisiana State University football program, there has never, and I mean never, not one time, has there ever been a running back to run for as many yards as Tyron Davis Price ran for against Florida, by the way, in a year in which LSU has struggled running the ball mightily. So this isn't a one-game anomaly for Todd Grantham. And I guess that's the next point to get to, Dustin. I know you're I know you're 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 as fed up with Grantham as anybody, but this isn't a one-game issue. At this point, Dan Mullen is at the stage where he's got to make some business decisions. We'll get to the quarterback one later. That that can wait because at least Mullen has had quarterback play in the past that has been championship level at Florida. So we'll put that to the side for now. We'll come back to that later. The defensive coordinator position is something that has been holding Florida back for years now. And yeah. I, I don't know what to say. I'm aghast. We thought after last year, after Florida had only surrendered 600 plus yards in two games ever, and then they did it three times last year, I would have thought that that would be enough. Evidently not. Dustin, I'm, I'm speechless. I mean, I mean, now what? Now, now, Neil, let me go and share something. So, uh, a very fun stat that that I found, and I use the word fun in a very sarcastic manner. Um, so Damian Pierce, Florida's starting running back, by far the best running back on Florida, coming out of high school was the number eight ranked running back in the nation. Now, this was in 2018. Now, fun fact, in 2019, the number eight ranked running back, according to the 247 sports composite, the number eight running back in the 2019 class was none other than Tyron Davis Price. And so we saw a game, okay, where we had a run defense that gave up well over 300 yards to Kentucky. Now, Kentucky's good. They're not insane. They're not Georgia. They're not Alabama. Florida couldn't do anything on the ground against LSU. Anything. Yet, Price gets 287 yards. That is unacceptable. You described the cower so beautifully. The crazy thing is, you're just you're 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 a smart guy, Neil, but you're just a fan. And I'm not saying that to belittle you in any way. Nope, just a couch tweeter. The reason why I say that though is because we got a guy who is getting paid almost two million dollars to see what you can see and make good decisions. But he's not. 
let me just say this. If I got a random number generator and I numbered Florida's defensive plays from one to a hundred, right? And the random number generator generated the number between one and 100 and called the defensive plays accordingly. So let's say the first play calls number 49, the next play, number 42, the next play, number 69. Okay. That number generator would do a better job at calling defensive plays against the counter than Todd Grantham could ever do. So you're saying that one of these numbers is like an engage eight look, another one's a quarters look, another one is just like a double high safety, something like yeah, like like every number is a different defensive look. Yeah. Exactly. Think yeah. about playing Madden and you go through the playbook. Yeah. Okay, sure. Yeah, exactly. the Madden, the Madden, uh, you know, the, the ask Madden feature would have done a better job. And again, that's not me being a sarcastic little smart ass. No, 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 no. That's I'm me not, saying I'm not even I'm not even gonna I mean, there's some intelligence in the ask Madden feature. I'm not even gonna give I'm not even gonna give Todd Grantham that benefit. A random number generator would do a better job at coaching this defense than Todd Grantham. And that, again, that this isn't an overreaction. This isn't hyperbole. This isn't you know trying to reach. That this is saying that the the Ask Madden feature would at least at some point in time call a defense that is better equipped to stop the simple counterplay than Todd Grantham's repeated 4-2-5 look. Which, by the way, Todd Grantham, if you're going to do a 4-2-5, those linebackers better be ballers, okay? Tyron Hopper, fine. You know, he's, he's a solid linebacker. He made some plays. He's not Brandon Spikes. He's not Antonio Morrison. That's the kind of linebacker you need to run that four-two-five look, if you have any dreams of stopping any kind of misdirection on offense, if you're gonna, if you're gonna just sit there and watch as your defense gets gashed to outside the C gap. I mean, they didn't even run too much up the middle because the counterplay to the outside was killing Florida. So, I mean, but forget that. If you want to have any semblance of a chance to stop a single play. And your play call that you love so much isn't doing it, maybe you try something else, Todd. And here's another thing. And and I'm I'm gonna get a little personal here, but great job running off James Houston. Excellent decision there to not start him and not let him play as much as he should have played. I wonder how he's doing at Jackson State right now. Oh, he leads the entire FCS in sacks? Hmm. I would have never figured that. I would have never thought that he would just be dropped into a Dennis Thurman defense under the tutelage of Deion Sanders and star. I would have never predicted that. No, not with his top-tier aggression and physicality and his extremely high level of intelligence, which, by the way, Florida misses twice as much now that Ventral Miller's out for the year, but still would nonetheless be very much equipped to take advantage of if Miller was healthy. So the, the, the personnel issues start with Mullen, but they go all the way down. Grantham was the one who didn't want to play Houston more than he did. Houston, if you remember, for the five minutes that the Cotton Bowl game was close last year, 17-13 with five minutes to go in the half, Houston came over to Drake Stoops, and he ripped the ball out. 
If that ball takes a bounce and goes a different way and Florida recovers it, Florida might have the lead at halftime of that game. It wasn't Houston's fault. He came to play. So, I mean, the friend of James Houston right now in me is sitting here and laughing at Todd Grantham going, ha, 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 you mind-numbing moron. You get what you deserve. You deserve to suffer. The Gator fan in me is just throwing my hands up like, what are you doing? I mean, this is – it's almost like a, a game of spin the wheel. Like you could point to so many personnel decisions right now from either Grantham or Mullen that have been just atrocious and have at some point or another cost Florida games. And, I mean, we talk about the counterplay. How about the fact that Florida wasn't playing the quarterback who gives them the best chance to win for the entire first half? Now, like I said, that's a different discussion. We'll get to that later. But personnel decisions, they're so spectacularly atrocious that it's almost like you have to try. You have to make a conscious effort to be this consistently and repeatedly wrong with the decisions you're making in-game. Neil, just to add to that, I'm beside myself right now when it comes to seeing how Dan Mullen has handled Todd Grantham. This guy should have been fired at the end of the season last year. There's no reason why he should be on that, on that sideline. And there, there's certain anecdotes concerning um, James Houston that, that, that you don't need to share. I know you're very close to him. There's certain things that, that stay between you and him. I'm not going to go there. But the little I do know, I know this. Todd Grantham is not the man for the job. He is not. And there's other coaches on the staff that I, that I think are doing pretty good. Um, I like the, the two new hires in the, in the secondary. Um, I think they've done an excellent job. At the end of the day, it's all about scheme. And the defensive coordinator is the coach that defines this, the scheme for any given defense. And schematically, we're not there. We're not. And coming into the to Todd Grantham's um, coaching career at, at Florida, we were running something like a 3-4. I think a 3-4 would have been great against the counter. Have four linebackers, three down linemen, and four defensive backs. Now, maybe you have one of those linebackers be a, a star or something like that, where they can duel in coverage. And you know, if the if the run happens to go that way, they can make a play on the ball. But other than that, bring your linebackers in. The number one key, like we were discussing earlier, to stop counter is to have a numbers advantage on defense because if they're if they have set if this if they have six blockers and you only have five guys coming down they're going to win the numbers game all day and like you mentioned it's going to come down to a safety make it a tackle if you're if you're designing your scheme and the end result of that scheme is it's going to be up to a safety to make a play for a touchdown not to be given up you're scheming wrong. A defensive scheme should be designed every time. 
especially in the run game, every time a linebacker should be making the tackle. A linebacker or a defensive lineman should be making the tackle, depending on where the ball is going and what gap is being attacked. I'm not by any stretch of imagination a defensive expert, but I can tell you that. A linebacker or a defensive lineman should be making the tackle. Yes, Dude, the you don't need there. to be a defensive expert. That's the thing. You don't need to be a defensive expert to know this. Todd Grantham is, is literally pocketing, pocketing millions of dollars to understand this, and he doesn't. And, I mean, it's at the point now where you can, you can say the same thing until you're blue in the face. He, he's not the guy for the defensive coordinator position. It's, it's just that simple. And, and now, what's more, arguing that point and trying to defend him crosses into the threshold of you need to be checked into a mental hospital. Like it, it is the definition of insanity because we've seen the guy for three and a half years now. And it, well, you know what though? That, that's, a, that's, an, that's an interesting point to go to next um, because I don't really think there are any Gator fans out there, at least not you know fans who are interested in seeing the team succeed. I don't think there are any Gator fans who debate the point anymore that Todd Grantham needs to be fired. The question is, should he be fired at the end of the year or should he be fired now, like today, tonight, before this podcast drops? And Dustin, I would argue that typically firing a coach midway through the year, especially a coordinator, not even a head coach, but especially the position coach or coordinator, does more damage than it does good because it's going to put too much pressure on some interim head coach to take over the role there and maybe they'll be in over their head and not really expect it and not know what to do. And the players can get confused too, because they're listening to some guy. Uh, and now that voice is being changed, telling them to do something completely different. But at this point, I don't see a reason to keep him for the Georgia game because I mean, at this point you have a buy, you have two weeks now to prepare for Georgia, which I mean, like it or not, is Florida's season. I mean, if Florida can beat Georgia and ruin their perfect season, I mean, it, it still probably won't even keep them out of the playoff. They'd have to lose again. But it, it would at least salvage something for Florida fans. It would, at least, it would at least have Gator fans in 2045 say, yeah, that 2021 season, that was pretty bad, but we beat Georgia. Like 2014. Gator fans remember that as a lost year, but we beat the Georgia Bulldogs. So that game in two weeks is everything now for this program. And I would argue that with two weeks to prepare, two weeks to give someone an opportunity to, to run the defense in, in at least an interim role is more beneficial and, and definitely a stronger risk-reward matrix than keeping Grantham. Because we know what's going, what's going to happen if Todd Grantham is our defensive coordinator. We know – that Zamir White and James Cook are going to do NSFW pornographic things to our defense. Like we know that because we saw LSU do that. Georgia has a good offensive line. LSU has a meh, decent, so-so offensive line. Georgia's offensive line is really good and they have better, faster, stronger, bigger running backs. So it's going to be worse if Grantham doesn't at least do something different or I should say, it's going to be worse if Mullen doesn't do something different on the defensive side of the ball and let someone else take a shot. 
Try their hand. Go for it. You're a kid in the candy store. Have fun. Do your best. Try something else. Because the unknown at this point with someone like a David Turner or a Wesley McGriff, just trying them out and seeing what they can do as a defensive coordinator is more appealing than the known, which is we know Todd Grantham is a shitty defensive coordinator. We know Florida is going to lose the game if he is our defensive coordinator, even if we play AR-15, which, again, tabling that for a little bit later. But even with AR-15 at the, at the QB spot, if Todd Grantham is our DC, that loss is a foregone conclusion. So the unknown where it could be great and could be just as terrible as Grantham because it can't be any worse – is more appealing than the known of it's going to be a nightmare. Why should we not, Dustin? Tell me. Why should Florida not fire Grantham now and give someone on that defensive staff, whether it's McGriff? Hell, let Jules Montanar have a shot. I mean, is, is he my first choice? No. I'd prefer David Turner or, I mean, someone else. Give them a shot, Dustin. Tell me why not. Make the argument against it. Not. I mean, I would say that David Turner would be an excellent person to bring in there. He has a ton of experience, both both in college and in, and in uh, at the professional level. He's he is a brilliant defensive mind. You know, I've you know even even as he came in to become the uh, the defensive line coach um, when we lost Rumpf, uh, I was looking at his um, his uh, dif- the different stops that he's been at, and he's he's been pretty successful along the way. I think he would do a phenomenal job. Now, he's not the guy I would necessarily want to be Florida's defensive coordinator after this year, but I guarantee you if he is the interim defensive coordinator, this defense takes it to a whole nother level. Now, I'm not saying we beat Georgia, but I can give you – I can be resoundingly confident that we'll win the, the rest of our games this season. But, Neil, I, I mean, just to echo – what, what you've said um, on, on Twitter, with Grantham and with the, the team in its current state, this is a 6-6 six and six team at best. Okay, Florida's definitely losing to Georgia. That's a given. And Florida's probably going to, you know, you know me, I don't cuss, but I'll, I'll say this. Florida's probably going to F up another two games. I mean, I, I wouldn't put anything past Florida. Heck, heck I hate to say this. But Florida could lose to FSU with the way we're playing right now. Heck, going into the FSU game, I might pick Florida State with the way that this team's going in the, the trend line. Because, I mean, think about it. This Florida, this LSU game, is this LSU team was awful, disgustingly awful. So terrible that their head coach got fired. Neil. I've not been following college football for as long as maybe some people that are listening to this show, but it doesn't matter because I've been following it a long time. I've never in my life heard of a coach get fired after a win mid-season. Right. Never. And, and have not, you heard not of a to coach? Mention, not to mention, dude, 21 games removed from the 15-0 national championship season. Yeah. yeah. But they beat Florida. And then, the, and then the guy gets fired. So just to, just to reiterate, and as we bring this, this uh, line of discussion to a close, 
a question was put out on the in all kinds of weather recruiting handle on Twitter, and the question read this: Does Todd Grant them need to be fired? And of course, eighty-eight percent, a resounding eighty-eight percent said yes. Do it now. Only seven percent said at the end of the season, and of course, five percent said nope. Give him an extension. Five percent must have fat fingers. I reckon those five percents were uh, five percenters, as I like to say. I reckon that they were uh, probably George or FSU fans. Yeah, it's always possible. We do have some uh, some rival fans following us. Um, I mean, yep. look, here's here's the kicker with um, with Dan Mullen right now, and and I'm saying with Dan Mullen and not Ty Grantham because we've known that Todd Grantham was not the best fit to be the defensive coordinator for the university of Florida for well over a year now. Um, I don't see a point in time where it was ever really preferable to have him as our DC because even in 2019, yeah, the stats were good, but the game tape was not, I mean, there, there were, there were busts here and there in big spots, like against, against Georgia. We let Lawrence Cager go free for that touchdown. There were multiple busts against LSU, whereas a sound defense would have obviously given up yards because that's a very, very good that, – that's a historically good offense that LSU had in 2019, but it would have been much harder for them. Uh, and even Virginia in the Orange Bowl, where we had a month to prepare to let Bryce Perkins look like Lamar Jackson against us, like there, there were warning signs in that season, 2018. You could kind of pardon as you know, first year. All right, the guys are learning the schemes. There were positives, like the safety blitz where Donovan Steiner comes through and blows up Nick Nick Fitzgerald for the game-winning sack. So you can you can deal with the negatives of that year, like against Georgia and Missouri and even Kentucky, as a first-year thing. But in 2019, there were warning signs. The stats were good, but the game tape was not. And here's where I'm going to point out the fact that just last week, another publication named Gator Country put out an article saying, statistically speaking, Todd Grantham's defense is elite. I don't know if that was the exact title, but that was the message of the article. And to that, I'm going to say you need to look at the stats again. But more importantly, there's, there's no defense left now. You, you could have pointed to the stats before. You could have pointed to the, the few positives that were on the game tape here and there, like the safety blitz at MSU in 2018. You could have pointed to the fact that we stopped Joe Burrow in 2018 in the swamp. But since the first couple of games of 2020, it has been so eye-stabbingly. They're like making up words on this podcast. There's another one. It has been eye-stabbingly obvious. Wait, did you say eye stabbingly? Eye stabbingly. Like you mean literally stabbing yourself in the eyes? Stabbing yourself in the eye. You Look, can stab yourself deal. in the eye and you will still know that Todd Grantham is not the best fit to be Florida's defensive coordinator. Deal. It is it is so painfully obvious. And yet here he is. So deal, that, just, that's where we are at. Neil. Just going back to the LSU game and looking at the stats, I would agree with you. Looking at those stats is eye-stabbingly atrocious. 
I mean, what Price did on Florida, he put up 287 yards on the ground against Florida. Backup running back, time, by the way. Backup yes, running back, not their Backup starter. running back. The last time that a running back put that many yards on Florida, it was none other than Herschel Walker. No, he didn't have that many yards. He had 238, I think. He didn't have that, – that was an, that's another school record, by the way. Congratulations, Grantham. You set another school record. That's the yep. most yards Florida's ever given up to a single running back in a game. Yeah. No, 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 no. What I meant by that is he broke a record that was previously held by Herschel Walker. Ah, okay. I got you. I got you. Yes. Yeah. All right. So, I mean, again, we've, we've reached the point in time where defending Todd Grantham is officially considered insane. It is not rational. It is not a logical thing to do. It is – I. Uh, what, what, what were the examples I, I used uh, when it came to defending Mike White – at the end of last year, it's like I said, it is like trying to take notes with a tampon. It, it, yeah, that's that's about it. It makes about as much sense as that. It's about it's about trying to play baseball, but instead of using a baseball bat when you go up to the plate, using a full water bottle. Okay, it is like trying to drive a shopping cart through the streets. Defending Todd Grantham makes as much sense as driving a shopping cart through the street trying to take notes in class with a tampon or trying to swing in a game of baseball with a water bottle instead of a baseball bat. It is nonsensical. It is not rational. It doesn't make any sense. So, I mean, at this point, the blame isn't on Grantham anymore because we know what he is. It's not his fault that Dan Mullen wants to literally throw millions of dollars at him every single year. And, well, if he doesn't know how to stop a simple counterplay, doesn't understand the concept of a left tackle and a left guard pull blocking to the right and creating a matchup of a running back versus a single high safety on a foot race to the end zone, if he doesn't understand that, oh, well, he and Mullen are buddies. They'll have fun hanging up their Christmas lights together, like Mullen said after the Kentucky game last year. Oh, well, all right, it's fun, whatever. They're buddies, so be it. That's where the blame shifts to Mullen. Because Grantham clearly won't ever get better. He won't ever fix the issues. It's on Mullen now. And if Mullen wants to continue to ride this guy, he's going to ride him right into an iceberg. And like the Titanic, he's going to sink beneath the waves and his tenure will die because of his loyalty and his inability to, to understand that the best person for the job should be the one to do the job. And that is where we segue into the quarterback discussion between Emory Jones and Anthony Richardson. Uh, it's, it's tough for me to say because I, I do know Emory Jones personally. You know, we're, we're not best friends. It's not like my relationship with James Houston, but I know him. You know, we've, we've, you know, we've talked before in person. You know, we've had some good conversations. He's a good dude. He's not the best fit for the quarterback job at the University of Florida. He's just not it. And I I push back against you. I push back against Casey when both of you said this to me. You know, he's not the guy. I said, "Dow, give him a chance. Give him a chance. You know, he's he's you know, he's given his blood, sweat and tears. I can't do it anymore. It's not the best move for the program. The University of Florida is not a restaurant where 
you know, the owner pulls in $65,000 a year and we're talking about employing his buddy as a, as a bus boy for 30,000 a year. It doesn't work like that. This is a multi-million dollar business. And when we're talking about putting guys in the NFL and recruiting guys with the, the recruiting pitch of, Hey, if you're good enough, you can play. They watch that and they say, well, wait a minute. That's not really true. Is it? Because if, if I'm going to be the best at my position, it doesn't necessarily mean I'm going to play. There are other factors in play here, such as, you know, how long you've been here, you know, seniority, how much Mullen may personally like you, which may or may not have anything to do with football. It, it might, it might not. Maybe, you know, th- there could be completely legitimate things that Mullen sees at practice that we don't see. But on the other hand, we see what these guys can do in game action. We see what Emory Jones can do in game action. We see what Anthony Richardson can do in game action. It's very clear that they don't produce identical output. The output we get when Richardson is in the game is just better. That's not a knock on Jones. You know, you you can say he's a better QB. You can advocate for him to be the QB one without trashing Jones personally. Again, great dude. But I'm I'm at a loss, man. It's we we have seen game after game now where Richardson has not looked perfect by any means. I mean, the interception he threw was a bad decision. The, both of them that he threw were bad decisions. Um, he's got to feel the pressure coming on him better than that. But let him learn a and b. The other side of that risk reward matrix you get with him is that he is a transcendent player who can take over a game with his natural athleticism and win you games with his natural athleticism and make a difference in a positive way. And that upside from Emory Jones isn't there. You know, tough kid, great kid. I I love that third and 15 conversion that took guts. Not, he's not, he's not the guy. He's, he's just not it. And, and Dustin, I'll, I'll turn this over to you, but he's, He's not it. I'm sorry, Emery. Um, and, and listen, last thing I'll say, there should absolutely be a role on this football team for Emery Jones. So I don't know exactly what that look, looks like. Maybe you can do some like two QB packages. Maybe if Anthony Richardson runs the ball a lot and he gets you know, bruised and needs a little bit of a breather, you can let Emery run the offense for a drive here or there. Maybe, here's a, here's a fun thought, you've got a bye week. Why not let Emory Jones run some routes with the receivers? See what happens. I don't know that Emory Jones will light the world on fire as a receiver, but I mean, the current receivers haven't been exactly lighting the world on fire either. Justin Shorter had a good game, but the current crop of receivers haven't been tearing it up. Why not let him try? Just see what happens. Attempt it. Be creative. You have a bye week. Well, deal. We already got a look at Emory Jones catching passes. We I mean, did. That, that's right. That's what I'm alluding to. He was that wide 22 open. Yard, that 22-yard reception yeah. by uh, Emory Jones from Trent Whitmore, that was a nice play. 
I mean, there's a lot that goes into into being a wide receiver. Yeah, right. Like that's what I'm going to say. There's a lot more that goes into being a receiver than, you know, slipping out and being completely uncovered and catching an easy floater that comes your way. You'll have to learn how to disengage from defenders at the line of scrimmage, how to beat jams and press coverages. Uh, I mean, the the route running will take some tutelage. You'll have to do some more work in the ladders, but he's got the footwork. You know, we've seen him as a runner. He's pretty damn good. Billy Gonzalez has turned a completely new wide receiving core after Jefferson Hammond Swain and Cleveland left in, in Tony and in Grimes into a pretty productive unit. Try it out. See what happens. Change something, Dan. What's what you're doing now isn't working. You have to try something else. Yeah. And Neil, let me just say this. When you look at the stat line for this game, Anthony Richardson, 10 of 19, 167 yards, three touchdowns, two picks, and an ESPN QBR of 88.9. Emory Jones, on the other hand, 12 for 19, 161 yards, um, one touchdown, two interceptions, an ESPN QBR of 28.8. Now, other than the QBR, which does take touchdowns um, into heavyweight, the, the stats are pretty even. So somebody who didn't watch the game or watch the film would probably look at both quarterbacks and say they're pretty even. But anybody who studied the tape can look at Anthony Richardson and realize that he plays the quarterback position the right way. Now, he's going to learn. He's going to grow. He's not going to throw the ball anymore into – when he in in the in the scenarios that he did that produced those interceptions, but one thing that I love from Anthony Richardson is his decisiveness. He doesn't hold the ball for the most part longer than he should. He makes the read. He goes from his first read to his second read, and in some cases, and I count at least twice where I saw him point his head one way, then point his head another way, and then go to his third read. I love that. That's not something I've ever seen from Emory Jones. I mean, think about it this way. Anthony Richardson had three touchdowns. Three touchdowns through the air and and, uh, one on the ground. Now, I I do think that, if not mistaken, though, that one on the ground was the two-point conversion, right? Or did he have a touchdown on the ground as well? Yeah, he ran in the two-point conversion. Perfect. But he did run in a touchdown, too. Yes, okay, so both the the touchdown run and the two-point conversion run, which that two-point conversion run was beautiful. I mean, one can think about if Anthony Richardson was the quarterback against Alabama instead of Embry Jones, what that game would look like. I know, I know, Anthony Richardson was hurt, couldn't play. Of course we know that. But you you look at how Anthony Richardson ran the offense, the offense looked better. Embry Jones, one big play in the game was a Hail Mary. And it was a heck of a pass. Okay. And it was an even better catch. One of the best catches of the season. I mean, LSU didn't really play defense on it. They just stood there and True. watched it like a kid yeah. in Macy's parade. But nonetheless, <laughs> sure. Yeah. But look, I, I mean, just one play I want to highlight, and we'll we'll probably highlight it again later. Um but you got to look back at that 
Anthony Richardson pass to Copeland in the corner of the end zone. Perfect ball. Couldn't have been thrown to a better spot. Touchdown. That's the kind of plays that we've seen from Anthony Richardson when he's given the opportunity. The reason why I say that is because for anybody that looks at the uh, the first drive of the game versus the first uh, series, I should say, where Anthony Richardson was in against LSU or the time that he was in the game in the Kentucky game and in the Vanderbilt game and say, oh, Anthony Richardson's not that good. He was hampered. When Anthony Richardson is allowed to run the playbook, when he's allowed to throw the ball, it makes his running more dangerous. When you look at Anthony Richardson and you look at what he's put on tape, there's no doubt in my mind that he's the better quarterback. Play him. That's my only solution. I mean, that's the only solution there is, possibly. Period. There's no, yeah. there's not room for discussion on this. I mean, if you, if you if you debate the point, you're arguing in favor of something that has lost us three games already this season, and could, if we continue to do it, lose us as many as six. I yeah, mean, you're talking Georgia. If we play. The guy that I, I it hurts to say, man. I I really love Emory Jones, but if we play him against Georgia, that's a loss. You can I'm pretty certain that one of South Carolina or Missouri will be a loss. I've been pinpointing that Missouri game all offseason as a potential loss. Not because Missouri's good, but, but because it could be cold and we could be uncomfortable there. So that's that's a loss. And FSU might beat us. So and then you know, potentially a bowl game, we could wind up with six losses that way too. So it's it's just it's if if you're arguing against what is considered the the consensus opinion right now which is bench jones in favor of richardson and get rid of grantham now if you argue against that you're arguing in favor of what has florida at four and three right now and looking four and four right in the face yep so dustin here's here's a Here's a fun, uh, a fun little stat for you, um, and this, and it, it will tie perfectly into what we're discussing right at the moment. Um, SAT question: Lincoln Riley benches Spencer Rattler for Caleb Williams. Davo Sweeney benches Kelly Bryant in favor of Trevor Lawrence, and Nick Saban benches Jalen Hurts in favor of Tua Tagovailoa. What do those three men? have in common that Dan Mullen does not have. Do you want me to tell you? Yeah, because I'm not they, they don't all have national championships. They have all been to the college football playoff yes, three all- three times or more. Dan Mullen has not even sniffed a college well, I guess that's not true. I, I guess he sniffed it in 2020. Um he he has never there has never been a final ranking unveiling where Florida fans thought there was a real chance the Gators would be in. Florida no. has never been close like the way Texas A&M was close last year, where they were sitting on edge, hoping, praying, thinking that there was a real shot they would get in. Florida has never had that. Whereas Lincoln Riley, Dabo Sweeney, and Nick Saban all made the moves they're supposed to make, and it's not a coincidence that they have also gotten to make three or more CFPs. And in the case of Sweeney and Saban, one multiple CFP championships. Yes. Yes. 
Dan Mullen, uh, and, and it's not just a QB position. I mean, look around college football the last decade or so. Why do you think Gene Chizik has a national championship ring from his time in Auburn? Because he hired Gus Malzahn as his offensive coordinator and because he played the best quarterback on his roster. Why do you think Ed Orgeron has a national championship ring at LSU? Guy just got fired. Why does he have a national championship ring? Because he knew how to surround himself with great assistance. He knew how you know Dave Aranda, now killing it at Baylor, and Joe Brady, who won the Broyles Award for the best assistant in college football and is now killing it in Carolina in the NFL. And, and by the way, uh, Gene Jizek also hired Ted Roof as his defensive coordinator, who's not an elite DC, but he knew how to make adjustments. When Auburn was down 24-7 to Alabama in that Iron Bowl, yeah, Cam Newton led them back. Why do you think Auburn won that game 28-27 and didn't lose that game by a score of 45-28? to Because Ted Roof adjusted. The defense adjusted. They adapted. They saw what Alabama was doing offensively. They blanketed Julio Jones. They stuffed Mark Ingram in the second half. And they adjusted and adapted, and they won. Those coaches know how to make personnel decisions that are for the best interest of their football team. It may hurt. It may suck. It may be the most uncomfortable thing Dan Mullen has ever had to do. It may be the most uncomfortable thing that Lincoln Riley's ever had to do. Bench Spencer Rattler had to sucked to pull him in and say, Hey, you know what? We're going to go with Caleb Williams had to have sucked for Dabo Sweeney to pull Kelly Bryant in, who did nothing wrong, by the way. He didn't do anything to lose the job. Trevor Lawrence was simply better. It had to have sucked for him to pull in Kelly Bryant, a kid who he recruited, sat in his living room, to tell him, you know what, we're going to go with someone else at the QB position right now. You should probably transfer. It had to have sucked, but he did it because he wanted to do the best thing for his football program. He has two national titles to his name. Nick Saban has seven national titles to his name. Those coaches know how to do, do the best things for their football teams, regardless of how uncomfortable it may be. And if Dan Mullen ever wants to join them as coaches who have made the CFP, because coaches who are discussed among the best of the best in college football, he's going to have to learn to say, Todd, I, I thank you. You, you know, I understand you have put in countless long nights at the office. You slept in the office. I understand you. You have really, you know, killed yourself to make the Gators the best. It's not working out. We've got to go a different direction. Shake your hand. I wish you the best and get him out of here. It's got to suck for him to do that to a guy he's been loyal to for so long. It's going to suck when he pulls Emery Jones into his office and says, Emery, you know, I, I, I'm always going to remember how loyal you were to the Gators. I'm always going to remember that text you sent me in 2017 saying, I want to be your quarterback while you were committed to Ohio State. I will always cherish that love that you have for the Gators. I will use that as an example for the commitment to this program that everyone who puts on that jersey has to have. But we've got to make a different decision. And, and you can tell him, you know, we want you to be here. We want you to still participate in our program. Let's try moving you to receiver. I don't know if it's going to work. Let's see what happens. But you got to do it, Dan. And if you don't, well, then you can go too. Because there's going to come a point in time, and I don't, I don't know when this is, but there will 
as sure as sunrise come a point in time at some point in time where the fans have just had enough and they stop paying for tickets and there are thousands of empty seats the way there were in death valley this past saturday which will cost the school money and will leave our administration with no choice i pray it doesn't come to that dan mullen was my first choice to replace jim McElwain. I still believe it's possible he could lead us to a national championship. I remember those days when he was our OC in 2005, 2006. Every week, he would unveil some new staple of the offense. One week, it's the Bubba Caldwell reverse. One week, it's the inside shovel pass to CI or Aaron Hernandez. That evolves into the triple option. Then it's the diamond look, where you have Tebow and shotgun, Demps to his left, Rainey to his right, Keiston Moore or Emmanuel Moody straight behind Tebow. You can hand the ball off to any of the three. The, you know, the option could be run to any of the sides. It, it kept evolving. There was always... There were, there were always signs of evolution, of innovation of the offense. That's what helped Florida win a national title. I still believe Mullen has that in him. He hasn't forgotten how to do any of that. But at some point, those memories of him doing that, of him continuing to out-scheme and out-coach opponents as ROC are not going to hold water anymore. He is not our offensive coordinator now. He is our head coach. He is in charge of making the best decisions possible for the University of Florida football program. And if he can't do it, if he continues to prove that he is unwilling or unable or just refuses to do it, he can go. And, and Florida will get someone who can. And, what, and that's a discussion I hope to not ever have to have because I want to see him succeed. But if he keeps this up, that discussion will come sooner than I would have ever hoped. Or thought i yield you're up dustin what have you got i know that i know just, that's very depressing but that's yeah i just stand here and all i'm i'm beside myself i know i said that a lot but i'm beside myself that we continue to make poor decisions in terms of personnel now again love emory jones i think he's a good player I think that he's an above-average player. I think that he would be a wonderful player at most stops in the country, but he's definitely not living up to his Elite 11 billing. He's not living up to his billing as the uh, number four, number five dual-threat quarterback in the country that we thought he was coming out of high school. He continues to play like a and I, I i hate to use words like this but it's the truth he plays like a first year freshman he's the game has not slowed down for him what i mean by that is he's taken way too long to throw the ball he's holding on to the ball he's tapping the ball as they like to say um he's not putting on tape what i want to see in a college quarterback and it, you know, I'm not expecting perfection, okay? But there is a rhyme and there is a rhythm to being a college quarterback, and that's what Anthony Richardson is doing. Yes, those two interceptions were awful. You're not going to win too many games against high-level talent throwing two interceptions. So you want to play devil's advocate? Yes, those two picks were bad. 
but the rest of his throws were excellent. The rest, his the the way that Anthony Richardson progresses, and I, I know I've already said this several times, but the way that Anthony Richardson progresses through his reads, it is better, better than Emory Jones, and that and that's all I need to see. Okay, and 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 let me let me just share this. When watching the game, we saw that Anthony Richardson, in effect, became the starting quarterback. In fact, in fact, we all remember the moment when Anthony Richardson had to step out for a few plays because he hurt his. Uh, I believe he, he jammed his finger and had to get it taped up on the left hand. Thank God. Um, Emory Jones came in, ran a few plays, and then immediately Anthony Richardson finished the drive. That was a far cry from what we saw several times during the season where Anthony Richardson would have a drive, something stupid would happen. In his case, he would lose his helmet. He would come out and not come back in to the demise of the Florida offense. So if I had – I'm not a betting person – and you know, Neil, I'm, if I was, I would probably not have much money in my bank account. But I'll say this. If I was a betting person, I would say that Anthony Richardson is the starting quarterback going into the Georgia game. I think that's what has to happen, and I think it's safe to say that's what will happen. Uh, now, those are two very different things, Dustin. Well, they're two different things, but in my opinion, I believe that those two things are going to collide. And what will happen and what should happen is what's going to happen. So, Neil, before we exit this quarterback discussion for at least this pod, I'm sure it'll certainly come up in our Georgia pregame as well as um, any other pod that we have coming up in the next few weeks. I want to talk to you about something. So there was some controversy that came out uh, in regards to statements that Anthony Richardson had made to the media after the game. Now, he since went out on Twitter, and I, I would love to hear your discussion about it. He put out a statement on Twitter um, kind of defending what he said and clarifying that he's a gator, all that. Go and read it for yourself. But to add to the controversy, none other than Lane Kiffin, who so conveniently will be searching for a new quarterback next year, retweeted like four or five of of Anthony Richardson's tweets, including, ironically, a tweet that uh, AR put out um, a few weeks ago when he did a backflip for a fan out after one of the games. So, Neil, what do you make of all this controversy? What do you make of the retweets by Lane Kiffin? What do you make of the comments that were made after the game and also the tweet that Anthony Richardson had put out? Well, first, I love how you have to add extra syllables to words, kind of like George Bush does. <laughs> um, controversy. Um, what, what, what was what was the other one you did? Um, it was like six months ago or so. You made up another. Uh, might have been executionman or something, something like that. Bill, I'm surprised you don't remember. Um, I don't either, by the way, but. It's it is what it is. It's all yeah. it's all part of my. Uh, well, you'll have to forgive my Rain Man memory because the game on Saturday kind of just melted my brain like an egg. 
But yes, uh, I mean, what do I make of it? I make of it that Lane Kiffin is a master Twitter troll. He's obviously looking to entertain himself after he almost got nailed with a golf ball by Tennessee fans. Side note, Tennessee fans are officially the single trashiest fan base in the planet. Um, they, they and and they've they've overtaken Philadelphia Eagles fans for that title. Um, but I, I mean, I make of it that there, there's a level of seriousness to it. Like, yeah, he will be looking for a new QB when Matt Corral leaves, but I think he realizes it's most likely a pipe dream. If Mullen decides to do the stupidest thing yet of his tenure and ride with Emory Jones into next year, then I think it becomes an interesting conversation, but I don't think that Richardson would go there necessarily. Um, I think he would probably wait one more year because he is a Gator fan. He grew up a Gator fan and I think he still does really like Mullen, although that, that would admittedly test it. I, I, I'm not buying it right now. I, I think that that was just a less than thought out answer by a guy who was really, really pissed off that Florida lost a game and had no business losing. And whether he'll admit it or not, because he and Emery are very, very close friends, there's probably a level of irritation that he hasn't been starting for longer than he has. So there there was some there was some irritation building up in him that that led him to to give an answer that wasn't really uh, you know, what, what Gator fans wanted to hear. And it certainly didn't do any favors in terms of quelling any rumors about him leaving, but I, I don't see it as a legitimate possibility unless Emery starts the rest of the year, which like you said, I, I I've seen Mullen make so many bad personnel decisions that I can't really believe that he'll make this switch until he actually does it. And I physically see him do it, but even despite that, there's like a there's a deep inherent feeling that tells me he's probably gonna do that. But I don't know. It I don't I don't make a whole lot of it. No, I tend to agree with you. You know how I like to refer to Anthony Richardson as the hometown hero. Uh, he grew up in Gainesville. Um, and anytime you have a player of that caliber up in your backyard i mean he's he's the kind of the kind of kid that would go to um florida football games and uh in fact he watched him tebow play um as a little kid if not mistaken and he's now wearing 15 he's literally living his dream and he realized he realizes that he's currently a freshman this is currently his his uh first season well technically second season um but as a redshirt freshman uh, he recalls Tim Tebow. Tim Tebow didn't necessarily come in right away and run the offense. Tim Tebow came in and played seven to ten snaps a game. And on each of those seven to ten snaps, Tim Tebow looked great. And that set him up for a record-breaking sophomore season. So I think I think AR-15 is going to be fine. I think Richardson... He's going to wait his turn. Well, now let's hope he's starting against Georgia in the rest of the season. But even if he does have to wait his turn, I think he's going to be a Gator. I I don't think he's going to transfer. Um, and I think he's going to be. I think he's going to do a lot of good at the University of Florida for whatever coach happens to be the head coach. The reason why I say that is 
if Mullen doesn't fire Todd Grantham, I would say it's going to cost him his job. I know it's taken me a long time to come to that conclusion, but here I am on the record on this fine podcast sharing my thoughts on the matter. And now, hopefully in a few minutes, we can put it to bed. Yeah. Speaking of things that um, we hope to never talk about again, let's talk about the final word, Dustin. We got uh, player of the well, we got play of the game, player of the game, and maybe I don't know. The Cotton Bowl was pretty terrible. Those those got some pretty bad grades. But aside from that, probably some of the ugliest grades we've ever given out. You ready? Yeah, let's go the for sooner, it. The sooner, the sooner we do this, the sooner we're done with it. So, and we never have to speak of it again. So, all right, play of the game. What have you got? So, before diving into the play of the game, I want to quickly rehash something that that I had brought up in the end segment of the pregame show for the LSU game. And here it is. I'm going to play it for you. No. We've already, we already had a whole segment on, on the defense versus an inept run game from LSU. But if LSU establishes the run in any regard, they're probably going to win the game. So what happened? We already hashed it about a thousand times on this show. LSU oh, established Dustin, I would say that uh, getting Tyron Davis Price a school record of rushing yards – and Florida surrendering the most yards to a single player on the ground in its history would qualify as establishing the ground game, don't you? Yes. And that's going to reflect in the grades that we give. So let's dive in to this final word. And I might also want to call this segment the eulogy for this uh, – Florida Gator team and its hopes for any, I mean, you mentioned in your, in your pregame article for the LSU game that there was before the game, at least a non-zero probability um, given a a monumental upset against Georgia, which is not going to happen. Um. But give it a but see, that's the thing, Dustin. I don't know that because this team plays to its competition. It played up to Alabama for a half. It played down to Tennessee. It played down to Kentucky. It played down to Vanderbilt, and it played down to LSU. Logic says they'll play up to Georgia. So they have a puncher's chance. Will they win? I don't know. But let's let's be very clear. I, I don't think that that's a foregone conclusion. That, 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 that's a loss. You might, but I don't. Okay. Well – I mean, we call you Debbie Downer Schulman, but I guess I'm now uh, Debbie Downer Dustin, and now now you have the full alliteration to go with it. Um, anyhow, let's uh, let's move on to this edition of the final word. Yeah. So, play of the game. What have you got, Neil? Um, there are so many plays of. The game, um, I could go on the LSU side. I'm – it's hard. Uh, I'm going to have to go with the first down run by Josh Williams that clinched the 
uh, it clinched the uh, the, the drive the win. Yeah. Yes, it clinched the win. I'm I'm lost for words right now. I'm kind of choking up on yeah on the discussion of this, but I I'm gonna have that. to go with that. You know, I mean, you could go with the 40 yard run uh, by Tyron that that uh, really lit up the the scoreboard and the fan base um, at that stadium. That wasn't filled the capacity. There were still quite a few occasions in that stadium. Um, so yeah, I'm going to go with that. Yeah. I'm going to go with the, the pick six that Emory Jones threw on the first play of the second half, not the first play on, on the first drive of the second half, because Florida had all the momentum. I, I was getting like Florida, Tennessee, 2003 vibes where one team was sort of dominating the play or not dominating, but one team was getting the better of the play the whole half. And then the Hail Mary happens and it completely flips the momentum into halftime. And then the other team comes out in the second half and will take that momentum and run with it. And then he throws a pick six to just hand it right back and completely cancel it out. You, you could say that the, the game losing pick by Richardson, which wasn't totally his fault. I mean, it was kind of, cause you got to feel that, that pressure coming on. Um, and you got to realize it's second down and, and that, you know, third and 19 is more favorable than not having the ball at all. But the pick six that Emory Jones threw that, that killed all the momentum Florida had in the locker room. And I mean, for all intents and purposes, I thought killed his, his argument to be the QB one for Florida. So I'll go with that as my play of the game Um, player of the game. This one has to be obvious, but uh, go ahead. You can go first. Well, um, I'm guessing you're going to go on the LSU side. So I'm going to go with a player of the game on the Florida side. Now I'm going to have to go with Anthony Richardson. It was a game that Florida, even from the get go, even after that pick six that you mentioned, Florida probably should have gotten blown out by LSU based on how they were playing, uh, um, through the first two and a half quarters. But Anthony Richardson came in and really brought this team back to the point where Florida and LSU were tied at uh, 42. Florida had a chance to go ahead with the win, but then they sputtered at the end of the game, and LSU ended up winning 49-42. So I'm going to go with Anthony Richardson as my player of the game, even though the real player of the game is a guy you're probably going to go with. Yeah, Tyron Davis Price. I mean, it's the obvious one. I mean, you set a school record for rushing yards. As again, point out a, a, a seventh or eighth time, not their starting running back. John Emery is, and he was one of the plethora of players out. This is their backup running back. Granted, very good running back. I mean, Gator fans will probably remember him for the go-ahead touchdown in 2019. Uh, and and uh, that was actually his first touchdown when he ran into the purple end zone in Death Valley to make it 35-28 against us. But, I mean, school record for rushing yards, it's it's a school record for Florida in terms of the most yards they've ever surrendered on the ground to a certain player, shattering, not just breaking, it destroyed the previous one by Herschel Walker by a solid 50 yards. I mean, we, we thought Marcus Lattimore ripping us apart in 2010 was bad. This was a solid 75 yards more, and they did it on one play. So I guess I, I guess you could say 
um, Max Johnson because he managed the game well. He avoided the mistakes the way that, that Florida did not because, I mean, the four Florida turnovers kept LSU in the game and LSU didn't have any turnovers on their own to counteract them. So he gets some credit for that, you can say, but Tyron Davis price has to be it. Um, now for the fun part, <clears throat> grades, Dustin, uh, Jesus Christ, this is going to be a bloodbath. Um, I <laughs> offense, defense, special teams, coaching overall from zero to hundred after you. So, Neil, um, the offense wasn't terrible. I mean, anytime you score 42 points, I mean, ironically, that seems to be the cap for how many points the, this team can score this year, um, considering their score against, um, in my opinion, the three worst teams on the schedule this year. Um, Florida scored 42 points only 35 against FAU. Um, but anyway, the offense wasn't terrible, but those four picks were pretty bad and very costly. Um, one thing that we needed to do that we didn't do is we did not establish the run. Um, coming into the game, I was relatively confident that we would be able to run um, up and down the field on LSU. I didn't think that we'd necessarily need to pass the ball a ton. I thought this would be the kind of game that we get 200 plus yards in the ground and and call it a day um eat eat up clock and and uh and win a game by a score of around 30 to a score of 20 or 20 24 points um boy was i wrong florida did score 42 that's not necessarily why they lost the game um so i'm gonna give the offense a c plus defense awful now, we could look at the Oklahoma game in 2020 or the Alabama game in 2020 as the worst defensive performance by a Florida Gator team. But, I, I mean, I don't think that there's an argument that this one takes the cake. Because, I mean, you look at the pedigree and the brilliance on the offensive side of the ball from um, Alabama's uh, national championship 2020 team with uh, with three players on that offense that had an argument to win the Heisman, um, and then Oklahoma, uh, a team that Lincoln Riley has humming, um, had humming, uh, and of course a Florida team that didn't want to be there. Um, LSU is bad; they're bad on offense. Bad on defense. Florida should have blown this team out. Florida should have held LSU to less than 20 points. Didn't happen. Defense, F. An F so bad that it's not just an F that you have to, you have to uh, withdraw from the class. It's the kind of F that if you were to get that on your exam, you should consider changing your major or drop out of college completely. Like a five or a seven? Oh yeah, the number the number I wrote down was five. Yeah, you know, give give uh give two point two percentage points to uh, Sack Carter who who continues to look good even though the rest of the defense didn't look that good. Florida um, for six punts. I have no idea how in the hell 
that happened looking at the stats and that, and like, that's why the stats don't tell the whole story, but maybe that's where the, the seven percentage points come from. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a good point. So special teams C minus, I'm not going to go into it too much. Um, Florida did have to go for two after yet another extra point was blocked. So I can't give them a, something close to an A, but you know, special teams isn't what killed them in this game. So C minus for that coaching. I know you had mentioned preseason or actually not preseason. You mentioned last year, um, I believe it was after the Oklahoma game where if Florida, if Todd Grantham had a performance like this, coaching would get an auto F. Well, in this case, I don't even think this needs to be an, an auto F type of game. I think it's just a flat F, an F minus in coaching, a disgusting performance in coaching. In fact, the only reason why I'm giving I'm I the, the number I wrote down is 10% for coaching. The reason why it's not a zero is because I really liked how Mullen had put Anthony Richardson in to, to finish out the game as Florida's de facto starting quarterback. And I believe that gave Florida a chance to win this game, even with the defense playing God awful. So you average all that out, and I'm going to have to give this team a 42. The, the Gators scored 42 points, and they once again score 42 points out of 100 on my percentage grade for this team, a team that continues to display media, mediocrity against awful opponents, and it's once again come back to bite them. Neil, take it away. That's more generous than I thought you'd be. I mean, the bottom line is that LSU fans aren't even mocking us. They're not even talking trash. They're just laughing. They're, they're, they're just so in awe. They're just so stunned by the fact that they actually won. They thought there was no chance. And they're honestly more interested in getting a new head coach now than they, than they were in beating us. That's what we lost to. Again, for the second straight year. So, again, there's, you know, there's emotion, there's prisoner of the moment, there's hyperbole, there's knee-jerk reactions, and then there is the statistical, factual side of this, which was that Florida's defense was responsible for the wrong kinds of school records being broken against a backup. So, with that said, offense, D. And it, the only reason it's a passing grade is because of the installation of Richardson in the second half. And at that point, it was great. It was, I mean, the offense hummed. It was fine. I mean, it broke. Richardson threw two picks. It wasn't like he was perfect. But the offense was certainly above average. It was good enough to, had that been the, the personnel that played the entire game, good enough to win the game. So, but you know, you balance that out with the two picks he threw, which dings him, the pick six that Emery threw, the fact that Emery was the QB for the entire first half, which had one nice touchdown drive and otherwise couldn't do anything in LSU territory despite great field position on three straight drives in the first quarter. So D, it it is it is the kind of grade where the professor looks at you like you passed, but you better get your shit together because this could have gone either way. And next time it might not go the passing way. It might go the failure way. So you're on thin ice type of D defense. 
F pretty easy. I mean, there's just no, we've, we've, we've beaten it to death. Uh, LSU breaks a school record with the same counterplay run over and over and over again, which admittedly is on coaching too. Um, probably even more so than on the players, but at some point, man, the defense has to start wrapping up. They have to take better angles. They have to show some realization as to what the play is being run on the other side. They have to look more competent than that. You know, they have to tackle. So F for them. Um, and, you know, just in case you haven't been made aware of this, LSU broke a school record for the most rushing yards by a single player in a single game with 287. By the way, that was their backup running back. Their starter, John Emery, was not playing. So, oh, yeah. And by the way, Florida also broke the school record of their own for allowing the most rushing yards by a single player in school history in a single game, shattering the previous record by Herschel Walker, which was, I think, 238 237 so it was it was by about 50 yards it wasn't like it was a yard or two here or there it was a good margin that this record was broken so yeah pretty easy f coaching i mean i i, I could go into the whole counter play again I, I could go into the ar versus emory jones debate again but we've beaten that to death and i'm gonna keep it simple because i said after the cotton bowl if todd grantham is back and Florida gives up 425 yards of offense a game, it's going to be an automatic F. It doesn't matter what else happens. Uh, I mean, there, there were some nice things in the game. I liked that, you know, double pass where Trent Whittemore, not double pass, the, uh, yeah, no, the, yeah, the pass from Whittemore to Emory Jones as a wide receiver. I thought that was a good wrinkle. Um, you know, eventually Mullen did replace Jones with Richardson, which is good, but it's very simple. If Grantham is back, despite all kinds of evidence pointing to the fact that he should not be back. If he's back and he gives up more than 425 yards of offense, which is three yards short of the average last year, Florida gave up 428 per game last year. He gives up 425 yards of offense in a game. It's very simple. The coaching gets an F because quite frankly, he shouldn't be back. He shouldn't be here. He should not be on staff. And because you made that decision, coaching gets an F. So F special teams, um, we did block a punt. Jordan Pouncey gets a helmet sticker for that, but we also had a kick blocked of our own right back. Um, eh, D plus, I guess. I mean, the block punt counts for something, even though we couldn't do anything with it. That's not our offense's fault. But I mean, again, the special teams lets us down. We have to go for two. If we don't get that two point conversion, which we did, but if we don't get it, it throws off the entire game. It messes up the multiples. And now we're suddenly down two scores when it should be a seven point game. So you can't have kicks blocked. It just, you can't have it period. And that that's the third one, by the way, it's the third kick we've had. We had one against Kentucky that went back for a touchdown and we had one against Alabama. So Actually, no, that one was just missed. That wasn't blocked. Uh, doesn't matter. Three, three kicking snafus this year. So we're obviously not learning anything. We're obviously not improving. We're not growing. We're not making adjustments as the year goes along. But we did get the Jordan Pouncey block punt, so D+. Plus. Overall, 12. Like 0 to 112. It's, it's, it's that kind of F. Because, say it again, um, you know, I'll tell them blue in the face. There's hyperbole. There's prisoner of the moment. There's knee jerk. There's overreaction. There's emotion. Then there's the fact 
Dan Mullen loves facts, right? He wants to evaluate the facts. So here's a fact. There's the fact that Florida allowed LSU's backup running back to gain more yards than anybody has ever gained on the ground in over 100 years of football at the University of Florida. That includes, by the way, a 75-0 beatdown with intramural players in 1942 against Georgia when all of our real players were overseas fighting for our country in World War II. Not even in that year did we allow Frank Sinkwich to run for that many yards against us. So congratulations, Mullen. You want stats? Well, you got one. And here's another one. Mullen is one and three against Ed Orgeron. He's two and two against Mark Stoops at Kentucky. He's 0 and one against Jimbo Fisher. He's about to be one and three against Kirby Smart. He's actually probably most impressively 0 and two against Nick Saban because the Gators fought pretty admirably in both. Um, and yeah, so you know, and Mullen post game attitude is definitely playing a role in this because. If I thought that there was some semblance of a chance that Florida was actually going to make improvements and adjust and learn and grow from this result, it probably would be a little bit higher than that. But because, you know, Mullen's just got to be his typical smart-ass self, I'm just going to say, nope. You know, you get a couple points for blocking the punt. You get a couple of points for putting AR in the game and letting him do what Gator fans have been pretty sure he's capable of doing all along. And you get a couple of points because – you know, you finally decided to use your timeouts at the end of the first half and try to make something happen. And whoopee, we actually did make something happen. So good for you. You learned that. Um, but yeah, 12. So yeah, that's, that's, that's about the end of that. I think we can, you can put this game to bed. Um, look in all kinds of weather, we'll all stick together, but at the same time, we're, we're allowed to, request some rays of sunshine at some point we, we don't you know we're by no means obligated to just sit here and continue to watch the shit storm just rain down on this program like the way mullen continues to insist on doing so you know we want our program to be the best it can possibly be we want to see the gators succeed and when i want it to be with dan mullen but i am rapidly losing faith that 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 is going to be the reality. Um, but nonetheless, you know, I'll be there in Jacksonville in a couple of weeks. I'll be there in Columbia, South Carolina to watch the Gators at the Gamecocks. I'll be there in Gainesville to watch the Gators and Knowles on Thanksgiving weekend. I'll still be, you know, my, my usual self, but something's got to change, man. This, this just can't continue. Mullen has got to learn to make personnel decisions that are in the best interest of this program. And if he doesn't, he's going to go down with them. Yep. Well said, Neil. Um, I echo every word. Uh, we need to improve in, in in many different ways, and it all starts with personnel decisions. Um, I think there's light at the end of the tunnel. Um, I mean, I'm confident that Anthony Richardson is going to be the starter against Georgia, and I'm confident that when it's all said and done, um, Todd Grantham will not be given a new contract. His contract is over at the end of this year and he will not be continuing at the university of Florida. We'll have a coaching search and we'll have a better defensive coordinator in part because it's hard to be worse than the man that we currently have at the helm right now. So Neil, I think that calls it a show. 
Um, obviously, I'm not going to give the Go Gators that I typically give. <laughs> yeah. Right. So By the that's way, not going to happen. Um, I, I I alluded to this earlier, but I got to give another shout out to my guy James Houston at Jackson State. Man, that's that's really where I'm going to be expending more of my my rooting energy the rest of the year. Like I said, you know, I'll be at the games, I'll be cheering for the Gators, but James Houston and that Jackson State team can accomplish something special this year. They're ranked in the top 25 for the FCS. They have a, an opportunity to win their conference, the SWAC. They have a chance to make the FCS playoff, which is 24 teams. I mean, I really, I encourage y'all to to go out of your way. And if, you know, if you, if you can, if you can afford ESPN plus, if you are able to watch the games, do it by all means, keep tabs on James Houston and John Huggins, by the way, another, another former Gator and, and, you know, watch a, watch a real program that actually knows what it's doing and, and makes the decisions it has to make. Um, and, and watch them, watch them ball. I mean, they're a lot of fun to watch. So yeah, I'll be there next week. Um, Dustin, we will lick our wounds and we'll get back to cheering for our Gators after that. But man, in all kinds of weather, we will all stick together as, as irritating and as frustrating. And I mean, in some cases, in some fashion as disgusting as this game was we will continue to root for our gators thick and through thick and thin uh any any last words you're not going to give us the go gators but you have any any parting shot for us we got a big bye week and this bye week is gonna it's gonna be a big indicator on the rest of the season whether this team can finish out the regular season at, at um eight and four or whether this team will be a six and six or a god forbid uh no they won't go five and seven there's there 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 are too many terrible opponents left we won't lose to all of them and samford is vandy level bad south carolina maybe but they almost lost at vanderbilt uh and and fsu is is a weird one i mean they they have their own set of problems florida's a bad football team right now but fsu has its own set of issues yeah. So I, I tend to think seven and five is the most likely scenario. They'll lose to Georgia. They'll lose one other one. Oh, and by the way, before I forget, got to shout out our sponsors. Didn't do that earlier. But for those of you who have made it this far, uh, definitely, I'll, I'll give an abridged version of it. Definitely be sure to check out the Gator Good Foundation, the nonprofit organization that works to send underprivileged Gator fans to the swamp. We did so this year with a military veteran named Ontario Jones. We're looking to do so at least once next year, potentially twice, depending on you know how much funding we get. Um, so if you'd like to donate to help our cause, please go to GatorGoodFoundation.com and click on the donate button. Um, and we're also proudly sponsored by Stingray Branding. These folks will put a sting in your marketing and deliver results that will wow your clients. Unlike the wow of despair we got when Dan Mullen continued to trot out Emory Jones this past Saturday instead of Anthony Richardson. Uh, They will help you out with all of your marketing needs, whether it's web design, logo design, branding, graphic design, social media management, email marketing, anything in the digital marketing world, Stingray Branding's got you covered. If you have any doubts about why you should choose them over their competition, here are two great reasons. 
They're run by a Florida Gator fan and they're run by a U.S. veteran. So yeah, they do awesome work, but they do awesome work and they're owned by a Florida Gator fan who happens to be a U.S. veteran. To learn more about their services and rates, go to stingraybranding.com. These are also the folks that did the Gator Good Foundation website. So if you want to check out their work yourself, go to GatorGoodFoundation.com and you'll see for yourself just how awesome they are. Dustin, I am just licking my wounds, but I I'm, I don't know, man. I'm at a loss like you. Well, I know that typically I say things that are a little more profound. Um, I find it hard to do this. I feel like I feel like this game has, has kind of sucked the life out of me in terms of uh, my enthusiasm for um, the expectation of this team. Obviously, the Gator standard is a joke. Uh, obviously, we're I, I, if I if I hear the word Gator standard again, I'm gonna I don't know. Well, it's I'm, a marketing go play. crazy, and it and it did its job. It sold the fan base on false hope and bullshit, and it sold tickets. Yep. So in that sense, it's not a joke. It's, it was a rousing success. It's not an actual way that Dan Mullen operates the program. It's all, you know, Fugazi, but it did its yeah. job. Well, it's not doing its job anymore to the extent that if you're listening to this and you need uh, three tickets to the Florida-Georgia game, um, my family – doesn't want to go and i was hoping that the game would be a family outing but it's not going to be anymore it would essentially just be me eating two other tickets so if you want to go to the florida georgia game or know somebody else that wants to go and you you want it for face um shoot me a dm on twitter and i'll hook you up that is a depressing way to end this pod but you know what you know what that's where and and this is the place to end the pod this is a great place to end the pod because I've been saying on Twitter, I've been saying it here on the show that, you know, Dan Mullen, you got to start doing some things or X, Y, Z. Well, Neil, well, at all kinds, whether what enforcement mechanisms are in place here? What power do you have to enforce this? Well, I don't have any. I'm one guy. As, as I can have as many Twitter followers or Facebook likers as I want. I'm still one guy with one set of tickets. My thing is, I am not the only one who's getting fed up with Dan Mullen and his brand of bullshit. There are others like me. I tweeted out a picture of, I tweeted out screenshots of four different Gator fans I had conversations with on Sunday morning, all of which basically said the same thing. Either I'm done with Mullen until he shows me something different, or, you know, I'm Mullen's not the guy, or I'm just done, period. That is an example of other fans not wanting to pay money to the athletics program to watch this football team continue to do the same things that it has done the past three and a half years and more recently the last, uh, I guess the last three quarters of a year. If you want to take the last quarter of 2020, the last three games of a 12-game season, the last, you know, 025 of that season plus the first half of this season uh they're not going to tolerate it anymore this isn't me you know exercising flexing my twitter muscle i'm not i'm not the guy who's gonna ultimately fire dan mullen i'm just i'm just saying 
fans are going to get to a point where they've had enough and they refuse to fund this program anymore. Dustin as, as a, is as loyal a Gator fan as I've ever met. He's, he's gone to Gator games since he was an infant, since he was breastfeeding. His parents have gone to Gator games since before he was born. He's had enough. He's not going to spend any more money on this program. I'm not there yet, but I'm, I'm pretty damn close. So, again, we don't exist in isolation. To those of you who still think, you know, well, I because mean, I had a discussion with someone on Twitter saying, yeah, well, you're just one guy. You know, there are other Gator fans that are going to fill those seats. No, they're not. And you know how I know that? I know that because we struggled to sell tickets all throughout 2017. Tennessee, we didn't sell out. LSU, we didn't sell out. Texas A&M, we didn't sell out. Vanderbilt, we didn't sell out. UAB, we didn't sell out. FSU, only because of a last-second surge of FSU fans who wanted to see Jimbo Fisher one more time did we eclipse 89,000 fans in that game. So, Mullen, the ball is in your court. You're losing the fan base. What are you going to do? That's, that's how that, – you know, that, and that's where we leave it. Uh, you know, I want to like you, Mullen. I want to keep supporting you, but I can't. And, and more importantly, the fan base will not if you don't change something. Make your move. 